A hairy man baptizes the Messiah. We're reminded about how sinful we are. And Jesus lets his disciples in on a fun little secret. They're going to be persecuted and put to death. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment. That helps us out a lot. And um, Brandon, what are we talking about today? We're in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm, we're mm, plugging mm, away. Mm, we're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, New Testament. Hope, guys, we're like, what, two weeks in at this point? Yeah. You guys should be caught up on your Bible reading. Just saying. Yep. It's only been two weeks. It's Keep easy. plowing ahead. Keep yep. plowing ahead. Don't can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> um, okay, so should we just go right into this? Yeah, let, let's go into it. So, I mean, um, we're in the four gospels. Um, you know, we're in the synoptics. They're similar. The first three. Um, I don't know if there's much else we need to talk about with that. Really. Yeah, we we discussed that last week, right? Matthew, yeah. Mark, and Luke have similar vantage points, sort of, yeah. so to speak. John set apart. It's probably written the last. It's probably the last one written. It's theologically rich. I mean, all of them are theologically rich, but it's specific. But yeah, so. Um, Briefly, what's unique about Matthew? So these themes of Jesus as the Messianic King, Jesus yep. fulfilling the Old Testament. Yeah, we saw these are not genealogy, unique, yeah. but they are special emphases. Yeah, in this gospel, Jesus as the new is uh, new Israel, the new Moses. Yep, these are some of these themes that we keep coming back to. So very important stuff that you'll see. Uh, we've seen them already in the first two chapters. We'll yep. see it a lot more. Exactly. He's going to flush it out, and yeah, we could actually meet Jesus. It's awesome. So, yeah, so chapters you know, one and two, part of three, is kind of more intro to the book. Mm-hmm. And then um, then we start seeing more of the, the message of the kingdom, I think, is next, right? Yeah, so that'll be the section today. We'll see the message of the kingdom in four through seven and the authority of the king in, in chapters eight through ten. So we'll awesome. cover a little more. Right. Again, we're just, I mean, we're just touching on this stuff briefly. There's so much here. Right. Awesome. Well, I think we're in chapter three right now. That's right. John the Baptist entering in, our hairy man. Our hairy man, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so John the Baptist, we'll look at him a little more in other Gospels. Just kind of want to get to the Sermon on the Mount. But but we see from his immediate coming, him him as the one who's preparing the way for the Messiah, Right. that there's conflict between him and the religious leaders. And right. this will be a big theme. Yep. That the, the authority they have is being challenged, that um, the way that they understand the scripture and their oral traditions is being challenged. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's ready to fight with them, man. He, I mean, verse 7 of chapter 3, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you <laughs> brood of vipers. That goes back to Genesis chapter 3, right? Being called a serpent oh, is not positive. <laughs> Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So he's challenging them. Yeah. He's saying you have to bear fruit. And this is a tough message, right? And so he's saying, there's going to come one after me who will baptize um, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Right. So he's he's just preparing for Jesus. Mm. So, um, and then we see Jesus's baptism by John the Baptist in in the the end of chapter three. Right. So he's baptized, and we hear, um, you know, Jesus saying, "This is to fulfill all righteousness." So he cares a lot about going through all of these steps, doing the, the righteous deeds. Yeah. And then he's baptized, and we see the heavens opened, and this voice from heaven, right? This is my beloved son. Well so placed, that yeah. sonship idea connects to the Davidic line, Second Samuel yep. 7, that this is, you know, David is the son of God. So this mm-hmm. is a true son of God, both in terms of that kingship and in a divine sense as well. He's the eternal son of God. Yep. So, um, so yeah, there's an important moment here that I want to, well, again, we'll see some of these things again, 
So I just wanted to briefly touch on that. But then we get into the message of the kingdom in chapters 4 through 7. Mm-hmm. So in chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted for 40 days. And this recalls Moses being in the desert, right? Being out there, and um, and just like Israel was also in the desert, and David mm-hmm. had his time, and even Elijah spent 40 days uh, on this trip through the desert. And so we see that Jesus is being tempted here, and he is fulfilling all the all the purposes for which these other men existed, right? All the ways that they fell short, right. Jesus is passing the test. Right. He's he's not falling to temptation. So lots of important stuff here, right? One of those is obviously these 40 days corresponds to all those things we just said, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Moses, he's the new better Moses. He's the new Israel who failed in their time. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing because he actually quotes from, in every time that he refutes Satan's temptation, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Mm. So he's quoting from the Old Testament, but also he's quoting from the words of Moses. Right. The words of Moses after Israel was, you know, his last words before they came into the promised land. So he's quoting from those and pointing to the fact that he is doing what they should have done. Right. He's fulfilling that. So very important picture here of Jesus as the new Moses and the new Israel. There's also a reference to the fulfilling of Scripture in chapter 4, verse 14. Mm-hmm. It's going back to Isaiah chapter 9. Um, but Jesus is beginning his official ministry. So we've had the intro. He's gone and had his time of testing, and now he is entering into his ministry phase, right. his public ministry phase. So, And then we see, kind of at the end of chapter 4, we see him calling disciples and him beginning to heal and to care for people. So he's starting to show what this kingdom that he's going to bring is all about. Mm -hmm. It's about bringing this blessing that they haven't been able to find down to earth, right? Bringing the the goodness of heaven, all of his eternal blessings to us. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's alluding to comprehensiveness. It's it's spiritual, it's physical, it's mental healing that he's bringing to the world. Yep. Yeah. Yep. In totality. So let's get to the Sermon on the Mount. This is, I mean, this is the mm, one mm, such mm. a key passage, and it's yeah. unique, right? We see the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, and it's similar, but mm-hmm. but th- this really, I mean, this is kind of known as the greatest sermon ever preached. Yeah. So such an amazing um, text. So there's some some themes that we see in this in this section. We see warnings against hypocrisy. Yep. Jesus is really challenging. Their oral traditions. He's challenging the way their leaders function, um, that way they pray, and the way that they fast, and the way that they do works of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So he's challenging all those things, but he's also giving just some practical wisdom for how to live life. Right. right? I mean, this is very much on the ground practical stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's it's deep theology, and it's also helpful and practical, which all good theology should be. Right. And then there's also this emphasis throughout that you'll see of the need for perfection. Mm that the law is showing them that they have to be perfect, yeah. not just outwardly doing the right acts, but inwardly in line with God's will right. in the heart and in the mind. So these are some of the themes that we see. Now, first, Jesus goes up onto the mountain, chapter 5, verse 1. This is an echo of Moses himself going up on the mountain to receive the law from the hand of God. That's funny how it matches up really well to Exodus. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah, this being baptized, going through the waters of, of the Red Sea is is referred to as baptism mm-hmm. in First Corinthians, um, and then of course time in the time in the desert, all these things they line up, right. and then the giving of the law. So there seems to be an intentional parallel here of Jesus with Moses. 
Now, Moses, when he gave the law, if you remember right, correctly, at the end of Leviticus and of Deuteronomy, there were these blessings and curses. And we pointed out at the time how the curses are emphasized a lot more than the blessings are. Mm-hmm. The curses are much more extreme and, and more emphasized. There's more of them. Well, here Jesus starts in a different way. Right? He actually starts with blessed. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. He goes through all of these different kinds of people who would be seen as unimportant or nothing in the eyes of the world and says they're actually blessed in this new kingdom. Right. So you're going to receive blessing. So he's pointing back to fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant, which was to bring blessing, mm-hmm. but also the Mosaic covenant, which brought curse because the people couldn't fulfill it. They couldn't obey it. Right. But here he's bringing a law that's bringing blessing. Mm. So this is this is very interesting. Um, the key, kind of a key passage to the whole the whole um, sermon is starting in verse seventeen of chapter five. So five seventeen, he says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will mm-hmm. pass from the law until all is accomplished." Right. So he's saying at the beginning here. My law that I'm bringing to you is not one that is going to do away with the law you've heard before. It's not just going to banish it or say that was all worthless. It's actually meant to fulfill that law. Right. So what he means by that is, is a little bit tough to understand right away, but I think we'll see through this sermon what he's doing. Right. He's going back to the Old Testament law and saying what was written here was actually perfect um, for that time. So he's going to bring something that's, you know, perfect for this time. So he's going to bring something a little bit different. But also, I think he's actually going back and saying, you misunderstood the point of the law at the time it was written. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of both happening. He's saying, you have heard it said. And then he'll share a little bit of the Old Testament scripture with some of their Mm -hmm. interpretation added on. Right. Or through the lens of their interpretation. And he'll challenge that. and He'll say, no, 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 that's not enough. You're right. missing the point. Yeah, he's bringing clarity to the law. Yeah. yeah, so that's sort of what's happening here. And then he goes on to say, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Mm. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in this kingdom, you're expected to obey God. Right. And that's reflected in, you know, in part what we saw in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not just going to throw away all of that, right. all that moral law we would talk about. Because Jesus will challenge the ceremonial law, some of their purity rituals and stuff, and he will say, no, I'm coming to fulfill that, and that's no longer in effect. But the moral law, right. he's saying, there's still this is still something that if you're in line with God's uh, will, you need to be following it. Yeah, and yeah, we see that with circumcision too, even from the apostles and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, exactly. So, And then he says, finally, in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is why it's important to know who the Pharisees were mm-hmm. because what he's saying here is these righteous people, the outstanding righteous people of your day, you have to be more righteous than them right. to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. So that indicates that they are not getting to heaven. Right. That they are falling short. This, I mean, it's a big challenge. And so he's going to get into a bunch of different things, right? So big picture here, Jesus loves the law mm-hmm. because he wrote it. Yeah. So he is Yahweh. He is the God of the Old Testament. And so um, the, the problem, though, is if you think that you can be saved by law-keeping, 
you can't. So the law it was for a certain purpose, for a certain people at a certain time. And Jesus is coming now to say, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. But also, you misunderstood the law and just how sinful you are. Right. So you have to understand this. So there's a lot of things happening here, but that's sort of you know big picture. So he, he keeps saying over and over again, you heard it said, you heard it said, you heard it said. So like in verse 27 of chapter 5, you have heard it that, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So that's obviously from Scripture. But he's he's going to point to what the intent of that command always has been. It's not just a command to say, well, I shouldn't commit adultery. Check. I haven't done that. I've had this you know relationship with someone else, not my spouse. No, he says... Verse 28, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right. So it's about the heart. So he's saying you're missing something if you don't understand that this is much deeper mm-hmm. than just, you know, you can check the box and say, you know, I've done that. Or anger. We skipped that one. Uh, sorry. But verse 21, right? You've heard it said of by those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So he adds that last part on sort of as a, um, that's sort of their oral tradition, right? Which is, hey, I think the idea here is if you murder, then you'll be judged. But if you don't murder, you know, in these serious sins, then you won't be judged. Well, he's saying, no, you're you're going to be judged if you even, you know, hate your brother or call him yeah. a fool. Right. So it's much, much more serious than that. What's, what's in your heart? So he's exposing the sin and the guilt that we have and also mm. calling us to real righteous living. Right. So this kingdom that he's talking about is going to be a place, not just a political entity or not political entity at all, but a people who are transformed by God's grace who don't have murder or anger, who don't have adultery or lust, who are striving in this way, right? Who are committed to their marriages in this section about divorce, who what they say is what they will do in this section about O's or who don't retaliate or who love not just their friends, but also their enemies. Right. Yeah. He gets to the heart of the law. Yeah. Not just this physical or, you know, applicable action. I mean, it has that too, but he's getting to the real point of what God intended for his people to do. Yes. And the conclusion is, oh, shoot, I don't do that. Uh, yeah, it, it, I hope it would be that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope it would be that. And uh, if, you, if you think like, okay, I, I've done all those things, well, what about Matthew 5, 48? Mm. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right. So at this point, you should be saying, okay, I... Uh, you know, uncle, I can't, I can't fulfill that. Okay, you got me. Right. What else can I do? Be perfect as God is perfect. That that's what the law calls for. Right. Is perfection. Right. A heart in line with God's will for you. Mm-hmm. And so we all fall short of that. Right. So this is this is practical on many levels. It's practical just to push us to the throne of grace to remind us that we need forgiveness from our sins. Right. But it also is practical. We shouldn't overlook this. It's practical to show us how God wants us to live. Mm. This sermon is is incredibly practical in that way, that this shows us how we should live. We should be striving for uh, right actions and right thoughts, a right heart for right. God. And so he goes in in chapter 6, he goes into how you should give and how you should pray, how you should fast, right? Mm-hmm. How you should deal with wealth and money. Yeah, and how you deal with worry. And I mean, what a big topic in our culture, right? Everyone's yeah. depressed, everyone's anxious, everyone's stressed. Yeah. Like the Bible speaks directly to them. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. These are these are things that God really does care about, and he wants us in something as simple as how, what we worry about to be yeah. honoring him. Yep. Um, and then in chapter 7, he ends 
this this sermon by speaking of two different ways. Mm-hmm. So he refers to two paths, right? And the two trees that bear two different kinds of fruit, and the two builders. And let me just let me read that section on the two builders because he's really heightening this call that he's giving to his listeners. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Hmm. So that's how he that's how he ends the sermon. And it's it's a powerful image, right? Because he's he's showing two people who do the same thing. They, they're both men who build a house. And the only difference is where they build it, on what foundation. Hmm. And he says the difference between those two people, the metaphor, he's very clear on this, is that one is the person who does God's will and one is the one who does not do God's will. Mm-hmm. So he's calling them to a life of repentance, right? To, to change their ways and to follow him. So a powerful call. Yeah. But he's saying there's two ways. There's the way of judgment and the way of life and the way of blessing. There's, just like Moses, right, there's curse for disobedience and there's blessing for obedience. And so he's calling us to respond to that. Yeah, I'm, on Christ the solid rock I stand, right? Yeah. We sing that song in our church. Yeah, so, so a very powerful ending. And this shows us the message of the kingdom. Jesus has come to fulfill the law, to uphold the law. And he's going to, from here on out, model this kind of, of life, right? So he said, blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are the merciful, all these things. You're going to see in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus living that kind of mm-hmm. life. Yep. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Well, Jesus is going to be persecuted. right? Uh, he says, don't retaliate. When he's persecuted, he doesn't retaliate. Yep. So he's following through on all these things, fulfilling all righteousness. So he's showing us the original intent of the law going back to creation, but also showing us that we can do it, that he can and he will on our behalf. Right. Yeah. Amen. So that's that's the that section, the message of the kingdom, chapters four through seven. And then we get to the next section, which is the the authority of the king. The authority of the mm-hmm. king. So this section it's it starts with a story about Christ's authority. And I think it's one of my favorite stories in the gospels, but in Matthew eight Starting in verse five, he encounters a centurion. So this would have, you know, this was a, a Roman authority, a man with power and influence, a soldier. And the the centurion comes to him, and in verse six says, "Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly." And Jesus then offers to come with him to heal him. Mm-hmm. And the response is amazing. Verse eight, the centurion replied, "Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word." and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Mm. And I say to one, go, and he comes, and to another, come, and, I'm sorry, to one, go, and he goes, mm-hmm. to another, come, and he, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So what is, what is he saying here? Well, he's, he's speaking to the authority of Christ. Right. He's saying, I know that when I give orders to my servants, mm-hmm. they do what I want. Right. And so Jesus, if you want to speak to your servant, which is, you know, physical the physical nature right the, the the nature of this world the physical condition you can speak the word and this person will be healed right that's, that's an beautiful. amazing statement that he understands what Christ has authority over mm. 
And so, and Jesus marvels at this. I mean, Jesus praises this, right? He says, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So he praises this man in a, in a kind of unparalleled way because he understands what Jesus is in authority over, yeah. what his kingdom extends over. Mm. And so we see his authority in this section. We see his authority in healings. So he's, a, he's in authority over the physical. Um, he calms a storm in, in, in chapter 8 here, and that shows that he is in charge of the natural world, the right. weather he casts out demons. Yep. He's not just in charge of the natural, but also the supernatural mm-hmm. world. And then in chapter nine, we actually see that he has the authority to forgive sins. Right. And so that's, cha- a, that's a big change that we see. That's right. So yeah. chapter nine, this is the first time that we see uh, anyone's sins are forgiven in the New Testament. This, right. is, this is a big deal. Man, what, this, a, what a allusion to the, like, the fulfillment of Jesus in the sacrificial system. Right? Yeah. So early on in the Gospels. Yeah, exactly. So, and he, of course, you know, this man is lowered down through the roof and he says, your sins are forgiven and he sparks a debate, right? Whether people actually, he can do this, right? Um, They're upset about that because who can forgive sins except for God? It's the idea there. And so he shows that he has the power, authority in this area to forgive sins by healing the man physically. Right. So a massive, massive uh, account here. And then... um, we see in chapter nine, we see Matthew appear on the scene. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, I think I said chapter 10 is where he appears earlier. He does appear there, but he first appears in chapter nine. Mm. So chapter nine, verse nine, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many t- tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So, Matthew is sort of, like I said, the prototypical sinner right. in this account, right? He calls Matthew, Matthew follows him, becomes one of his disciples, one of his apostles, but he's also then hanging out with a bunch of sinners, mm-hmm. and he's challenged by the leaders who say, how can you do this? How can you hang out with such bad people? And of course, his response is, verse 12, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm. So he calls it what it is. He says, these are the kind of people I, I came to seek and to save. And if you believe that you are righteous, if after hearing the Sermon on the Mount, you still believe that you are righteous, <laughs> you've missed the entire point. Right. And you need to learn that you're sick in order to come and find healing. Yeah, exactly. So we have a, a big you know, picture of what the, the message of Matthew is all about. Now, the next section in chapter 9 is also very important. We talked about this idea of, God, of Christ fulfilling the law mm-hmm. and the importance of that. And so 9.14 kind of gives us a little account that helps us with this, to understand this. So Jesus, like we said, he is pointing to the old system and showing its actual intent, but there's also aspects that he's going to say that is obsolete, mm-hmm. right? The the mosaic uh, system, the sacrificial system, he's going to fulfill the purpose of that, and it's no longer going to be practiced. Right. And so that's part of the fulfillment of the law. So in 9.14, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Mm-hmm. And Jesus said to them, so that basically, you know, we go through these intense things where we don't eat food. You guys just are always having a party. Why is that? <laughs> Jesus says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Right. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So he's saying, I'm here right now. Spend time with me, right? If you want to commune with with God, 
then let's spend time together. Mm -hmm. Here I am. <laughs> so he goes on to use two different images. So in verse 16, he says, no one puts in a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for then the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. So again, speaking to their system, he says, if you put uh, brand new cloth on an old garment, an old garment has over time, it's been dried in the sun and it's yeah. it shrinks, right? But in a new piece of cloth, if you put it on that garment on a tear or on a hole, try to patch it up, then that piece will shrink because it's new and it'll tear the clothing even worse. So he's saying you can't have an old system uh, with what I'm bringing in. You have to, the system is going to be done away with. Right. And then he uses the picture of wine and wineskins too in verse 17. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. So same idea here. They would fill up these wines, these skins of animals mm -hmm. with wine. They would stretch out. Right. And then when they're empty, they would dry out and kind of shrivel up. If you filled it again, then it would, it would break the, mm -hmm. the skin. So he's saying this is calls for a new system. Mm -hmm. So he's pointing to how the old order, the, the Mosaic covenant, the, the certain parts of that, right, the purity laws and things like this are done away with in this new system. Right. So very important in terms of the idea of fulfilling the Old Testament. Um, and then chapter 10, just, just quickly, we see Jesus sort of mobilizing his troops, right, getting his team together. Yeah, he gives them a... a an encouraging hype talk, you know? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Yeah. So he calls his 12 apostles and gives them this mission. 12 apostles, of course, that's because of the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. So he is the new Israel, the new Jacob, and he has his 12 that are going to be the new 12 tribes, and he's sending them out as this new people to spread this message. And he sends them out with his own authority, with his power, and with his message right. to proclaim this good news. Yeah. So this is this shows us, you know, that the expansion of the kingdom, the building of the kingdom, his purpose to sort of conquer mm -hmm. uh, what is what belongs to him. Yeah, awesome. So we want to reflect too on every week what we can take away from this and what, how can we apply this word to our life. Yeah. So, I mean, one obvious thing, like we've said, you know, already, but you can't fulfill the law perfectly. Yeah. So the law, as good as it is, don't think of it as a way to earn God's favor. Right. That's just ABCs of Christianity, yeah. right? The foundation of your house cannot be built on your works, yeah. but the work of Christ, right? Yeah. And so, so we look to him and what he's accomplished and we find freedom and joy in that. Yeah. But that freedom and joy leads us to be constrained to follow yeah. his commandments, to live in, in line with his will. And so if Jesus is the authority, as we see him in this, and if he proclaims this message of commitment, he deserves your allegiance. Mm -hmm. And and so we can't follow him perfectly, but we need to follow him nonetheless and live a life of constant repentance. And we have to be different as followers of Jesus. Yeah. So sort of an obvious takeaway, but I think an important one. Hey, it's a good word. Awesome. Well, that's all we got time for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we'll see you next week.